Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 11. Franklin, Naya, and David approached the dark mouth of the cave. Using Franklin's map, they had navigated a route to the forest that formed the southern fringe of the Mason property. They'd parked on the shoulder of a quiet road that outlined the edge of the woods. A steep hill led from the roadway to the forest wall. They'd hiked through the woods for about a quarter of a mile before they reached the clearing and the cave. David was drenched in sweat by the time they stopped walking. He withdrew a water bottle from his bag. Only take a few sips, David, Naya said. She wore Bermuda shorts, a tank top, and Nike running shoes, and she didn't appear to be half as wrung out as he was. Light perspiration gleamed on her skin, like polish. Still haven't gotten used to this heat, David said. He put his hand against a tree to support himself while he drank. He looked at the cave. A jagged black maw, perhaps seven feet high and five feet wide, gave access to the cavern. Mounds of rocks and dirt covered the ground outside the passageway. The area was preternaturally still and silent. Franklin's camera hung around his neck. He took a photo of the entrance. David, take out the Bible, please, he said. David did as he asked. Franklin stood beside him and turned the pages, stopping at one of the illustrations. The drawing of the large dogs gathered outside the cave's doorway, and a group of men crouched in the woods, watching as if waiting to attack. The men huddled back there, Franklin said. He indicated the wall of trees and shrubbery behind them. You're right, Naya said, peering over David's shoulder at the illustration. It's a good thing these dogs aren't here, David said. Not yet, Franklin said in a low voice. He looked around warily. Due to the trees, cool shadows dwelled around them. I know what you're thinking, David said. The girl in the hospital was mauled by a dog and mentioned something about a man who used dogs to do something. Attack, maybe. You and I are on the same wavelength, Franklin said. We better hurry up, guys, Naya said. Let's get inside there and do what we came to do. One moment, Franklin said. He raised his camera and snapped another shot of the cave entrance. Now, let's proceed, Franklin said. The first and only time David had ventured into a cave, he had been 11 years old. 
They had been taking a family trip to Chicago to visit relatives. And on the way, they stopped in Cave City, Kentucky, to do some sightseeing. On their way down into the cavern depths, he had seen a spider on the wall as big as his face. The memory has stayed with him ever since. This cave was much smaller than the one in Kentucky, but it was no less forbidding. When they stepped inside the passageway, cool air swirled around them, like disturbed spirits. The sound of their breathing was amplified, as if they were shut inside a tomb. David swept a flashlight across the limestone walls. Thank God he didn't see any giant spiders clinging to the rocks. As they moved deeper within, a foul smell assaulted his nostrils. Naya wrinkled her nose too. What's that awful smell? It can't just be old dirt. Death. Franklin came up behind them. When I was in graduate school, I worked part-time in a crematory. This is the malodor of incinerated corpses. David didn't need to ask why the stench of death polluted the air. The guy who had told Franklin about this place claimed to have seen a heap of skeletons. Can we please hurry up and do what we have to do? Naya said. I don't like the feeling this place gives me. Give me light, please, Franklin said. I will commence with my photographs. They crept farther inside. As David and Naya shone the flashlights around the area, Franklin snapped photos. Ahead, a bend in the cavern awaited. This looks like the illustration in the Bible, David said. He fumbled out the book. He found the representation of the four remaining men, armed with weapons, walking deeper into an earthen tunnel. Unlike those valiant men, we didn't have the foresight to arm ourselves, Franklin said. Let us hope that it won't be necessary. They walked around the corner. Naya gagged. David covered his mouth with the edge of his shirt. We discovered the source of the stench, Franklin said. He took a picture. A brownish-gray mixture of dirt and ashes covered the cavern floor. Walking through it was like stepping through a sandbox. Junior said he saw bodies back here, Naya said. She coughed. <coughs> Someone must have burned them. To hide evidence, David said. But whose bodies were here, Naya said. God, I'm going to have nightmares for a week after this. David turned to another drawing in the Bible. It depicted a swarm of savage-looking people, dressed in rags, crowded inside the cave. Maybe it was these people, he said. I'm sure it is the vicious mob illustrated there, Franklin said. He had walked forward through the ashes and begun to study the wall. Both of you, please, come. I'd like a light here. He pointed. David and Naya went behind Franklin and directed the light at the area he indicated. Large symbols were engraved in the stone. It was a language that David did not understand. Franklin clicked a couple of photographs. This is a West African tongue. Malinke, I believe. A Manding language from the Niger-Congo family. Really? Naya said. Can you read it? Franklin squinted. It has been many years since I have encountered this. He traced his hand across the car symbols. David glanced at Naya. She shrugged. Franklin abruptly looked at the ground. He tested it with his foot. 
His boot found a depression and sank in deep enough to swallow his ankle. Mumbling under his breath, Franklin took the Bible from David. He paged to another drawing. Okay, what are you thinking, Franklin? David said. Have you figured this out? Look. Franklin tapped the page. The illustration portrayed the Goliath of a man who was trapped behind a crumbling rock wall. This character in the drawing, Franklin said. He was buried here, I think. Buried, Naya said. But the others, according to Junior's story, were piled on the ground. Not this one. Franklin's eyes gleamed. No, he was special. He pointed to the engraved symbols. Translated from Malinke, this says roughly, I shall rise again to slay my enemies. Diallo signed his name to this vow. Have you ever heard of him? Never, Nye and David said together. Franklin looked excited. Diallo was a prince in 18th century Mali. A prince and a warrior, in fact. After losing a battle, he was captured, sold to European slave traders, and shipped to America. At which point, as it was with so many of our ancestors, we lost track of him and his lineage. How do you know that the San Diallo wrote this stuff on the wall, Naya said. Thousands of slaves came from that area of Africa, from what I remember from my history classes. I'm taking an intuitive leap, Franklin said. In the absence of complete data, historians must often use their imagination to connect the dots, if you will. It feels genuinely correct to me. Let's say you're right, David said. How did he come to be buried here? And why is he featured in drawings in this Bible? Valid questions, Franklin said. But our most urgent question is, where is he now? As you can see, his body is gone. The man in black, Naya said. Junior said that the man in black and another guy were in here. What if they dug up his body and took it somewhere? Why would they do that, David asked. I don't know, Naya said. But it makes sense, doesn't it? I must consider these questions. Franklin pressed his hands to his temples and closed his eyes. I must consider them carefully before I reach a conclusion. My conclusion is that we get the heck out of here, Naya said. We've seen everything we need to see, and I can't stand any more of this place. An alarming sound suddenly reached them. The echo of barking dogs. This is unreal, David thought. It's like something out of one of these Bible illustrations. Grab some stones, David said. He reached down and scooped a couple of rocks in his hands, each stone roughly the size and heft of a softball. Franklin jammed his camera into his bag and set about retrieving rocks. Naya did the same. The dog's barking grew louder, closer. They're right outside, David said. We can't stand here or we'll be trapped. We have to go outside. Follow me. He led them around the bend in the cavern, toward the entrance. The dog snarling and snapping rang off the wall in staccato bursts. He was unable to figure out how many hounds were out there, but there were at least two for sure. He was wrong. There were four. He crept through the passageway and into the daylight. Four large, muscular canines surrounded the cavern mouth. They were spaced equidistant from one another, like soldiers in formation. 
running to escape was out of the question. The dogs had trapped them. There was nowhere to run. Although David held heavy rocks in his hands, he thought that throwing them would be a bad idea. These canines looked wild, vicious, downright strange, actually. Their eyes were rimmed with red. Mucus crusted their nostrils. Thick strands of saliva hung from their lips. And their teeth, especially their canines, were longer and sharper than usual. What was going on with these animals? Were they genetically engineered to attack dogs or something? The dogs had ceased barking, but their muscles were tense, ready to pounce. They glared at David with baleful, intelligent eyes, as if challenging him to flee or fight. It's Malcolm, Franklin said. He pointed to the dog on the far left. That's my dog. Hey, boy. Hey, Malcolm, Franklin whistled. The dog, a mixed breed, growled. He must not remember you, Doc, Naya said. That's impossible, Franklin said. I fed him for a year, spent time with him daily until he ran away a few days ago. His voice trailed off. He frowned. These mutts aren't going to let us get away without a hell of a fight, David said. His hands were clammy. One of the stones almost slipped out of his grasp. I'm not liking our odds too much, guys. If we go back inside the cave, maybe we can find another way out, Naya said. Unlikely, Franklin said. A wind whisked across the forest. The dog's ears prickled, as though in response to a call only they could hear. The animals retreated into the woods, in the opposite direction from where David and the others had come, heading north toward Jubilee. What was that all about, Naya said. The hounds are trained to detain, a man said. He emerged from the shadows of the tree. They did not attack unless commanded. David drew in a sharp breath. This is the same guy he had seen several days ago, when he had first visited the Mason place. Still clothed in black, he wore dark sunglasses, gloves, and a hat. The man cut a striking figure as he entered the clearing and stopped in front of him. Explain your business on this property, the man said, or perhaps I will summon my friends again. Franklin stepped forward and cleared his throat. <clears> throat> I'm a history professor. These who are my students. They're taking a graduate level history course, and one of the lessons calls for a field trip. Is that so? The man said. He appeared to be amused. He inclined his head towards David. I've seen you before. What is your name? David paused. Each of you will give me your name, the man said, or my hounds. David and the others quickly told him their names. David Hunter, were you doing field work for your history course when you last visited my residence? Um, you could say that, David said. Is that your purpose as well, Nia James? The man said. Coursework? Yes. Nia stood rigid. The man laughed. It was a hearty, good-natured sound. <laughs> David noticed the guy's teeth were a brilliant, perfect white. 
Indulge me, if you will, the man said. What did you find of historical value inside the cavern? Franklin flashed a glance at David and Naya, as if to signal them to remain silent. We found ashes covering the floor, Franklin said. It is my opinion that bodies, human perhaps, have been burned therein. Fascinating, the man said. Go on. I found an inscription on the wall, Franklin said. It was written in the Malinke tongue. Malinke? Excellent. What did it say? I shall rise again to slay my enemies, Franklin said. It was signed by a Diallo. Is that so? You taught me a lesson. I have been unable to decipher the words on my own. Thank you for that piece of valuable information, he smiled. I shall rise again to slay my enemies. He spoke the words with evident delight. Let's cease the nonsense, Franklin said. Who are you, and what are you doing in this town? My name is Kyle Corot. I came here to find my ancestor's body. He had come to an unfortunate end and had been entombed in this godforsaken cavern for over a century and a half. I spent years searching for his remains. I wished to give him a burial appropriate for a prince. Diallo, is he the one? David said. The prince from Mali who was brought to America as a slave? Yes, Kyle said. You undoubtedly discovered his grave inside. We recovered his body. We'll be leaving soon and we'll trouble your humble town no longer. Trouble is all our town has seen since you've arrived, Franklin said. He shook his head grimly. You're giving us some of the truth, I suspect, but you're lying to us about your true motives. Touche, Kyle said. You may in fact be a professor, but these are not your students, and you are not here on an academic outing. Anxiety clenched David's stomach. He put his hand on Nia's shoulder and tapped Franklin's arm. Hey, we better get going. Wise young man, Kyle said, especially as I am sensing that my dogs are in the mood for a chase. But, Franklin started, let's go, David said. He grabbed Franklin's arm. Nia hooked her arm through Franklin's and both of them literally carried him out of the meadow. They stumbled into the forest and broke into a run. Running, David risked a glance behind them. The man who called himself Kyle had vanished, as if he had been no more than an illusion. No ordinary man could move that quickly. It's impossible. But David stopped thinking about it. They had to get away. He heard, distantly, the barking of the wild dogs. Run, 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 David said. He clutched Franklin's hand in his, and Nia did the same. They could not allow Franklin to fall behind. Hands interlocked, their bags thudding against their bodies. They raced through the underbrush. David's breath roared in his ears. Cold sweat poured out of him, and he worried that he might collapse from heat exhaustion before they made it out of the woods. Far behind, but growing closer, David heard the snapping crackling of weeds and bushes as the dogs charged into the forest. Franklin wheezed his glasses askew on his face. We're almost there, Nia shouted, her hair plastered across her cheeks. David's thighs burned, his lungs ached, the humid air was like steaming stew. 
They exploded out of the woods and onto the steep hillside that dropped down to the road where David had parked the Pathfinder. The sudden dip in the land threw David off balance. His ankle twisted viciously. He cried out in pain, and he slammed to the ground and rolled down the bumpy hill, the strap of his duffel bag sliding off his arm, the bag getting snagged on a snarled root. He kept tumbling down the hill, grass and dirt smearing his face and clouding his vision. He finally whammed against the gravel shoulder of the road, and the impact sent another bolt of agony through him. Through his haze of pain, he heard the pursuing dogs roaring. They're going to tear me to pieces, he thought. But strong hands hooked under his armpits and pulled him upright. Naya. I got you, baby, she said. Where are your keys? Right pocket, he said in a thin voice. Dragging him towards the vehicle, she dug into his pocket, retrieved the keychain, and pressed the button to deactivate the locks. Franklin, looking weary and disheveled, swung open the rear passenger door. They helped David inside. He lay across the seat cushions, but not before he saw the dogs navigating down the hill. One of the canines plucked his duffel bag off the ground and trotted away as if it had found a prized bone. Hurry up, David said in what he thought was a shout, but his words only came out as a hoarse whisper. He heard the dogs, closer, then doors opening and slamming, the engine rumbling, spinning tires ripping through gravel. We made it! Naya laughed deliriously. It was the last thing David heard before he blacked out. We've got to get David home, Naya said. She drove, and Franklin rode in the passenger seat. I think he sprained his ankle pretty badly, and he might have heat exhaustion, too. All of us are fortunate that we escaped with our lives. Franklin dried his face with a handkerchief. Those fearsome dogs... I don't understand how my own dog could turn against me so. He seemed not to recognize me at all. I don't know, she said. This field trip of ours just raised more questions. Why was this Kyle character dressed in heavy dark clothing on a hot day, Franklin said. Virtually none of his skin was exposed. Did you notice? He could be allergic to sunlight, Naya said. Really? I have no idea. The control that he exerted over the animals. It was uncanny. She wiped perspiration from her brow, staring with her other hand. She didn't want to puzzle over the questions that Franklin raised, but she could not help herself. They had stumbled into something of unprecedented weirdness. Doubtless, Kyle and his hounds are responsible for the young woman who was mauled last night, Franklin said. I will wager that he's guilty of the disappearance of the two people as well. We need to call the police, Naya said. Franklin laughed bitterly. <laughs> Naya, we have no compelling evidence to support our theory. Although the dogs chased us, we were trespassing on private property, remember. Frankly, I'm not certain that Chief Jackson would be willing to listen to me speak on any topic. He practically hung up on me this morning. He's been behaving strangely. I don't know what we should do, she said. All I want to do right now is take care of David. He's my priority. Franklin peered in the rear seat, shook his head sadly. Very well. You attend to David. 
We need him to be healthy for what we have ahead of us. In the meantime, I'm going to visit the young lady in the hospital. I want to know what she saw last night. The dogs returned to where Kyle waited on the veranda of Jubilee. Sitting in a cane rocking chair, he smiled. He had not expected the animals to capture the humans. He only wanted to frighten them to keep them away. They were meddlers, and too clever for their own good. The laborers Mamu had employed must have informed others about the cave. It was only a matter of time before word reached humans who possessed expert knowledge, such as the professor. Destroying the three humans would have raised a dangerous alarm in the town. He could not handle them in the manner that he had manipulated the police chief either. He was talented, but unable to hypnotize more than one individual at a time. Allowing them to escape was the only safe course of action. However, he would have to remain vigilant against the encroaching humans. He wished he and his father could leave this place, but he had to await Diallo's recovery. As he thought of his father, his father's vow reverberated in his thoughts. I shall rise again to slay my enemies. He was grateful that the professor had translated the cave inscription. He knew the translation was correct. The hunger for vengeance burned in his father's heart. The dogs flocked around Kyle. One of them carried a duffel bag between his teeth. The dog dropped a parcel at Kyle's feet. Kyle remembered that David Hunter had been carrying this bag. Good work, he said to the hound. Inside the bag, he found a flashlight, a bottle of water, a notebook with empty pages, pens, and a large, thick book with a worn cover. A Bible? Why would the man have brought this with him? He placed the text on his lap. He slid his fingers across the front cover, which was emblazoned with a faded gold cross. Contrary to myth, vampires did not fear the cross or any religious symbols whatsoever. He had entered churches and temples on many occasions, seeking sanctuary and enlightenment. Being an immortal in an imperfect world could be a wrenching burden, and Mother could not answer every question to his satisfaction. He often sought divine guidance. Kyla read the entire Bible several times. He longed to discover a reference to a vampire, but he had found nothing. The reason, according to Mother, was that vampires were predatory beasts, akin to lions and bears. Clearly, not all such animals were cataloged in the Bible. It is our fate, our joy and our burden, to feed on mankind, Mother taught. Heaven, salvation, nirvana, those things are for man, not for us. Our souls are the souls of predators. Would you expect a wolf to be granted eternal life in the house of God? When Kyle challenged Mother by asking her what became of the souls of humans, the metamorphosis into vampires, Mother could not answer him. She was frustratingly ambiguous on matters of spirituality, and when she grew tired of his questioning, she advised him to put the troublesome thoughts out of mind. He would only aggravate himself, she said. Although Mother was satisfied to avoid seeking answers to difficult questions, Kyle questioned the point of a cold, soulless existence. He yearned for more. Maybe Mother was right about him. Maybe he was too human. He opened the Bible but it was only the same series of familiar books. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. He stopped, flipped back a page. An expertly rendered black and white drawing filled the paper. A battle between a group of men and a mob of man-like creatures that bore a resemblance of vampires. One of the creatures towered above all. He searched for more illustrations. He found others, randomly placed. Impossible, he whispered. These were the drawings of the climatic battle between men and the legion of vampires led by Diallo. Even his father's entrapment in the cave was illustrated. When mother finally confessed that his father was not dead, but was asleep, she had told him the story of how his father had come to be imprisoned. Her tale was brought to vivid life in the pictures, with such accuracy that her words might have personally guided the artist. The artist, indicated by the corner inscription, was James Hunter. The name meant nothing to Kyle. The identities of the humans in the pictures were mysteries too. One man, in particular, appeared in nearly all the drawings. He was depicted as a hero, a leader, the man who had entombed his father, the man who had taken his father away from him for 168 years. He clenched his hands in a fist. The dogs, sensing his change in mood, leapt off the veranda and fled across the yard. It was irrelevant that the man responsible for imprisoning his father in the cave would certainly be dead. The man would have descendants, and by virtue of their lineage, they bore responsibility for what he had done. He would learn the identity of the human who had taken away his father. He would begin with the young man who had possessed the Bible, David Hunter. David awoke to warm kisses on his cheek. Hi, Naya, he said, groggy, and reached out and touched an unexpectedly furry head. He blinked. King! He wiped the dog's saliva from his face with the heel of his hand. The German shepherd breathed in David's face, grinning. You wild and crazy mutt, David laughed. <laughs> his laugh was cut short by a sliver of rawness in his throat. He had never been so thirsty. He lay on the bed in the master bedroom of the house, a thin blanket tucked over his body, a ceiling fan spinning slowly. Gray daylight slanted through the curtains. The bedside clock read 324. The day was far from over, but he had had enough adventure for a week. It hurt his head to think about everything that had happened. None of it made any kind of rational sense. Naya walked into the room. She had changed into a pink blouse and shorts and had wound her hair into a ponytail. You're a sight for sore eyes, he said. I'm glad you're awake, she said. Carrying a tall glass of water, she smiled and sat beside him on the bed. Gently, she touched his head. You're in bad shape, Mr. Hunter. You twisted your ankle, then passed out from heat exhaustion. Here, have a sip. She brought the water towards him. He rose into a sitting position, and she helped him drink. Water had never tasted so good. I lost my bag, he said. The Bible was in there. Sorry, we weren't able to go back to get it. If we had tried... I know, he sighed. Where's Franklin? He's home. 
He plans to see the girl in the hospital whenever she wakes up again. He wants to question her about what she saw last night. Did he reach any conclusions about what we saw at the cave? Not really. We only have more questions. Like, why that guy, Kyle, was dressed all in black in hot weather, covering up his whole body, practically. I thought about that the first time I met him. Weird. How did he control the dogs the way he did? We don't know the answer to that either. Franklin's own dog acted like he didn't recognize him, remember? I sure do. David pointed at King. You ever act like you don't know me, King? And I'll disown you. King licked his fingers. What I wonder is how my father has anything to do with what's happening, he said. Pearl hinted that he was connected somehow, but she couldn't give any details. It's a mystery. I don't have a clue either, but Franklin is convinced that this Kyle guy is responsible for the disappearances in town. He and his killer dogs. I'd sure like to go with Franklin when you visit the girl in the hospital. Negative, Mr. Hunter. You're staying right here until you heal. You're in no shape to be running around playing the intrepid investigator. He lifted his leg to test his condition, and a vice of pain tightened around his ankle. He grimaced. Okay, you're right. He leaned back against the pillow. Talk about bad timing. This has to be the worst possible time for me to get hurt. While you were sleeping, I went to my house and picked up a pair of crutches. I suffered my share of injuries in my track running days, you know. She motioned behind her, indicating the aluminum crutches that leaned against the armoire. He took her hand in his. Thank you for taking care of me, Naya. I don't know what I'd do without you. You're welcome, she smiled. She leaned down and kissed him softly on the lips. Mmm. Your lips taste like orange and spice, he said. It's the tea I was drinking. I found a stash in the kitchen cabinet. I hope you don't mind. Mikasa, e su casa, senorita. A few more of those kisses and I won't be the only one lying across the bed. You can't handle any vigorous physical activity in your condition, she said. But she kissed him again. He slid his arms around her waist. His hands rolled under her shirt, tricycled across her back. She peeled aside the bed sheet and moved carefully atop him, straddling his body. Ooh! She reached down and felt his direction. One muscle sure isn't sprained. She squeezed, teasingly. He unbuttoned her blouse, slid it off her shoulders. He smoothly unhooked her bra. Her nipples, rigid with her arousal, were like chocolate drops. He kissed them, tasting her sweetness, and began to flick his tongue across them. She moaned. You're so lovely, he whispered. No matter what happens to me while I'm here, coming was worth it so I could meet you. She placed her lips against his neck and slowly moved downward, kissing each inch of him until she reached his navel. Her kiss left a trail of pleasurable sensations tingling on his skin. He ran his fingers through her hair, moved his hands down and cupped her breasts, massaged them with his thumbs. She rolled down his boxer shorts. She took his erection in her hand, slowly stroked him up and down. Ripples of pleasure spread through him. Are you sure you want to do this? He said. 
Yes, I want to do this. I want to do you. He reached out, grasped the drawer handle of the nightstand, and yanked so hard the drawer flew off the runners and crashed against the floor. A laugh burst from Naya. <laughs> Has it been that long, sweetie? He chuckled too. <laughs> it's been long enough. Hold on, I'll get them. She began to move from on top of him. Summoned by the crash, King came back in the room, ears raised. Before Naya could reach the unopened box of Trojan condoms, the dog plunged his snout into the items that spilled out of the drawer and came up with the condoms snared in his teeth. King, David said, get back here. Be a honey king and give those to me, Naya said. The dog, perhaps overwhelmed by the attention and thinking it was time to play, darted out of the room, tail wagging. Naya rolled her eyes. Your dog is something else. I'll be right back after I give him a Mississippi beatdown. She pulled on her blouse and hurried out of the room. I feel like I'm living in a movie, David thought. And whoever's directing can't decide whether he wants a horror flick or a comedy. His gaze happened across the open slot in the nightstand. A manila, business-sized envelope lay within. A letter? He plucked it out of the gap. All right, baby, Naya said. She came into the room and held up a couple of wrapped condoms. I salvaged two before your mutt tore up the box. If you ask me, I think he's jealous. Bring your dog next time to keep him company, David said, absently. The mail was addressed to his father. It had his Mason's Corner address in black type characters. It bore a London return address and was postmarked in London, England six years ago. Naya sat beside him. Where'd you get that? It was in there, he pointed to the empty space. It must have been hidden underneath the drawer. Hidden? That's strange. He touched her leg. As much as I hate to say this, I think we'll have to postpone getting our love thing on right now. I gotta check this out. It might be important. I was gonna suggest the same thing, though my body's gonna need a minute to cool down. You had a sister ready. Not as ready as I was. He kissed her quickly. Don't worry, I'm a fast reader. Hmm. Something tells me you won't be able to rush through reading it. You better take your time. His palms oiled with sweat. He carefully opened the envelope. At home, as he waited for Ruby to call and inform him that the young woman in the hospital had awakened, Franklin settled into a study and continued to research their findings at the cave. This was, by far, the most intriguing historical research that he had ever done. He felt that he walked along the brink of a discovery that would shatter everything he thought he knew about Dark Corner. It was both exciting and a bit frightening, too, but he was compelled to continue. The study was his favorite room in the house. Several maple bookcases lined the walls, containing over a thousand volumes on topics such as history, politics, philosophy, and culture. He had read most of the titles on the shelves, but in recent years, he had turned increasingly to the internet for his reading material. His huge maple desk was the centerpiece of the study. A late model laptop computer sat on the desktop. It was connected to a cable modem, ensuring a speedy web connection. 
A glass of iced tea close at hand, Franklin sat in a leather chair and tapped away on the laptop. He had uploaded the digital photographs he had taken at the cave into his computer. The pictures filled the display. He examined each of them and stopped at the image of the engraving on the wall. He enlarged the photo. I shall rise again to slay my enemies. He possessed only a general knowledge of Diallo. He had found more information about the man on the African History website. A Morehouse College student had written his master's thesis on high-ranking persons in West Africa who found themselves victims of the American slave trade and the havoc it wrecked on their psyches. Diallo was born in Mali in 1767. For 28 years, he lived as a village prince and became a feared warrior. In 1795, Diallo was defeated in a battle and sold to European slave traders. He was shipped from Africa to Virginia, where he was purchased by a planter named John Foster. Diallo was a troublesome slave. Standing seven feet tall and weighing 300 pounds, he was prone to violent rages and struck terror in his masters. After he had been enslaved for only three years, he killed an overseer for beating a female slave an act that required he be put to death. Before his punishment could be dispensed, however, John Foster took the unusual step of agreeing to sell Diallo to an anonymous buyer. Nothing is known of what became of Prince Diallo afterwards. I'm thinking this is me real quick, you know. I'm thinking that uh, Alicia used my manipulation, like used hypnotism to convince... uh, punk ass John Foster to sell Diallo to her. That's what I'm thinking. Franklin could not find any resources that provided further information on what happened to Diallo after he was sold to the mysterious buyer. The man dropped off the history storyboard completely. That is, until he turned up in the Hunter's Family Bible in which he was portrayed as a murderous giant. A murder in a cave Buried in a grave he may have dug himself, his corpse retrieved over a century and a half later by a man who claimed to be Diallo's descendant, a man who called himself Kyle Corot. Kyle Corot, who shielded his skin from the sun and displayed a supernatural ability to manipulate canines. Kyle Corot, who seemed to be responsible for the disappearance of two people in town. What did any of it have to do with the dead African prince? The key to unlocking the mystery was Kyle Corot. Why was he there? Who was he, really? Or perhaps the proper question was, what was he? Franklin clicked on another web browser window. He had done a search on the phrase, allergic to sunlight. Two subjects appear frequently in the search results. Xeroderma pigmentosa, a rare genetic disorder that put one at extreme risk of developing skin cancer due to exposure to ultraviolet lights. And vampires. Vampires. Franklin was an educated man, but the more he learned about the world, the more he understood that humanity's grasp of reality was tenuous. The world was full of mysteries that defied rational explanation. It was easy for one who lived in a technological society to dismiss many things as primitive superstition. But vampires. Not Hollywood characters, 
fictional creatures or deranged people who suck blood and dressed in black, but real vampires. It was madness. But Franklin could not dismiss it. So many bizarre incidents were occurring that he could not afford to dismiss anything. Set aside my doubts and imagine it could be true, Franklin thought. What if Kyle Corot was a vampire? He travels to Mason's Corner to retrieve Diallo's body from its earthen grave. Why? What if Diallo's a vampire too? What if he had been trapped in the cave, hibernating like a monstrous bear until Kyle Corot found him? The phone rang, and his shrill ring nearly tore a scream out of him. It was his wife. Frank, the girl's starting to wake up. If you want to see her, hurry and get here before she falls asleep again. I'll be there shortly, dear. Vampires in Dark Corner. Franklin hoped his suspicions were wrong. Dear God, he prayed he was wrong. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Uh, you can leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that review onto Apple Podcasts. Copy and paste that review on the Good Pods, uh, which is an app. You can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Uh, buymeacoffee.com slash sscast and on the good pods app you can uh, go to our tip jar and leave a little something something thank y'all so much for listening I greatly appreciate it y'all be good I'm gonna holler at you later peace and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?